Uh, my name is Chad, and uh, I'm one of the pastors here at BCC, and get the privilege of bringing the message this morning. That little clip, uh, if you don't know who, they, who those uh, are, that group is called Shane and Shane. I, I believe so. Mark, that's right. That Shane and Shane? They're going to be coming to Cornerstone here sometime. Does anybody know the date on that? I remember. What's that? February 1st. Okay, February 1st. They're going to be in. Uh, I've heard them before. Uh, they're an awesome, awesome group. And so uh, just kind of a little shout out for them. Um, a couple of things as we get kind of as we get going this morning. Um, uh, number one, uh, our youth group is partnering with a church in town, Trinity Lutheran, uh, for a missions trip. We're going over spring break to uh, Puerto Banasco, uh, Mexico, and going to build a house for more ministries. Something we uh, we used to do a long time ago, back when I was in high school and college, with my youth minister Dan Mitchell. Uh, we had a bunch of ch- churches throughout the state. We're partnering with, with uh, Trinity. They've been doing it for a long time. And part of the fundraiser for that is their annual enchilada dinner, which is happening uh, after service today. So if you want to uh, help out our entire team uh, for this trip and enjoy some awesome enchiladas and uh, not have to cook yourself, uh, jump over to Trinity Lutheran afterwards and, and join us for that. The last thing is, uh, how many of you guys excited for Brian Wilson and his family to be coming here? Yes? All right. So just kind of help out, um, just some information. Uh, we're, a lot of questions on when are they coming, when are they going to be here. They're coming quickly. In fact, uh, today and tomorrow they are loading a truck. We had a, a gentleman in our church who's got a truck and a big long trailer, and he scheduled a, a, a load out that direction so he could pick them up and bring them this direction. Um, they have uh, put an offer on a house on Pass Drive. It's been accepted. There's, little, there's a little gap between accepting and closing and all that kind of stuff. So uh, Wednesday at around 3 o'clock, they plan on being here. Um, and if you, want, if you can help unload a little bit, that'd be great. Just call our office. We'll have the detail. I don't know, remember the exact address. Uh, it won't take a lot. They don't have a ton of stuff. They've already downsized. But we're going to basically unload everything into the garage of their house um, as they're waiting for the clothes. They're actually going to live in Lakin just for a, a few weeks in order to get that process all done. Um, just there, there was, happened to be an opening out there they could get to. Uh, but we're excited. Uh, we're grateful for uh, Jason and, and, and the, his, his truck out there, Jason Horton and his truck, to, to bring them back. And uh, we're, we're excited to, to get their family here and, and to get rolling. So just be praying for long travels. There's a, there's a few miles between here and North Carolina. So um, be a, a, few, a few bathroom breaks um, between here. So be praying for them and their family as they make that travel out here. All right, so we are in a series called All Things New. Um, Brian opened that up two weeks ago uh, with this idea that uh, God is for us. And here's, here's the whole series idea that, that God makes all things new. <clears throat> and one of the things that he makes new is, is our view of him, how we see God, how we see God interact with us, uh, especially as we bring Jesus into the picture right? And so uh, God's always been forced. We see that fresh as we see Jesus. So God's your biggest cheerleader. God, is, God desires for you to, um, to succeed in the things he has for you to do in life. Doesn't mean we don't have struggles. It doesn't mean uh, life is, is all peachy king and, and roses and rainbows, but it means that for the things he has for you to do, he wants you to succeed. He wants you to be obedient. He desires for you to have the best life possible uh, within his will. God's for you. God's also with us. God has been with us um, all the way through history. God was with Israelites all through the Old Testament. 
And then we see with Jesus that God, God stood with us, right? Um, Chris did a great job uh, kicking, uh, talking about that last week, knocked it out of the park. Um, so God's posture is for us. God's place is with us. And today we're going to see that through Jesus, that God's person is one of us. And this whole one of, I, so we, like being for somebody, cheering for somebody, we understand. Being with somebody, we can understand. But one of is a, this, is a special, special place. It's a special person who can say that they're one of you. One of the largest one ofs that I've been a part of, right, was back in high school. So uh, my mom had a shirt, a t-shirt that very few ladies would ever wear, and you had to understand the context of it. That t-shirt said, hog mama, right? Yes, do you still have it? Yes, so Cecilia Shradden, last service, I forgot about her. She has one too. It says, Hog Mama. That's not a, as a mom, that's not a t-shirt you just wore everywhere, right? Not without context, right? But you understand the context because in high school, I was a lineman. I, I know that may surprise you. I kind of have the receiver build. No, just kidding. Uh, I'm a lineman. You're like, receiver? No, I'm a lineman. Been a lineman all my life. Been a sinner all my life. Uh, and in high school, linemen were called hoggies. Our, our coach, Mike Smith, we were the hoggies. And we had this kind of this team within a team mentality. Like we were part of the Garden City High School football team. But more than that, we were hoggies, right? And we, man, we worked. And see, on Thursday nights, we had these game meetings. We had team meeting because coach, our coach wanted the last thing we did do Thursday night was to be with the team. That was it. You, you were with the team. You met. You went home. You went to bed for Friday game time. Before the team meeting, though, we had a hog meeting. And at that hog meeting, we had hog ice cream and hog cookies made all by our hog mamas. It's a big deal. Now, we developed this, and everybody wanted to be us. Everybody wanted to be a hoggy Thursday night at the meeting. They all wanted the ice cream. They all wanted the cookies. But nobody wanted to be a hoggy Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday in practice because we worked. So you understand, as a lineman, that's the only position in football that's got men beside it. You have receivers, quarterbacks, running backs, defensive backs, cornerbacks, linebackers, and then line men. <laughs> we knew that. We put that out. We made sure our team understood that. See, they wanted this glory of the, the hog ice cream. They wanted the shirt. They wanted to be a part of the group, but they weren't one of us because they didn't put the work in Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday in practice. We were on the sled. We were in weights. I mean, we worked, coach worked our tail off. And that was part of the one of. And as a lineman, I can look at other linemen and we like, it doesn't matter, you have to be the same team. You're kind of like, uh-huh, we know. Right? You know who I'm talking about. Been a part of other groups um, as far as one of wrestling, uh, wrestlers. If you, like other wrestlers, it doesn't matter how old or young, you look at another wrestler, you're like, uh-huh, we understand, right? There's just things about it, right? And, and I think all of us have these one of groups. These things were, you, you have this connection with other people that nobody else understands. Maybe it was a trip for you, a, a school trip, a, a church trip, a missions trip, where you, you had experiences, they're called shared experiences, that nobody else, you can explain it, but nobody else is gonna really fully 
understand because they're not one of you. Military, you have a one of group. I can study military all I want to. I can support it and I do heavily. I, I can talk to all the military personnel I want to. I have got a very good friend who's in the military. My father was in the military. I, like, you, I, can, I can be a part of that, but I have never been in the military, and so I'm not a part of that group. No matter what I do, unless I've gone through boot camp, I cannot fully understand. First responders, police officers, fire department, EMT, you guys have a one of that I do not understand and never will understand. Because there's things you experience together that nobody else gets at nurses, right? There's things you experience as a nurse that nobody else understands. Um, we have events, a men's and women's encounter. And if you've never been to an encounter, I encourage you to look into it. Um, it's, it's one of the most powerful spiritual events uh, that I've ever been a part of. Uh, it, you're gonna meet God through men and women who have met with God, and they're gonna spill their heart about the way God has moved in their life and is so powerful that you have to experience it to be one of. You, gotta, you have got to have gone through it. Uh, we have women's and men's encounters coming up this spring. I encourage you to look into it. See, one of groups, they're kinda of scary to jump into. Like they're a little, like you kinda, of, you're not, you know, kinda of not really sure if you wanna jump into that because it, there's a, it, it, it's a defining thing, right? Uh, even in, even in ministry, there's, there's, there's groups of, of ministers. He, until you've been a minister, or you've you know, been a youth minister, right? there's these times that you don't understand. Uh, church leadership, until you've been an elder, it's hard to understand what elders go through. Until you've walked the walk, and you've been in the meetings, and, and you've, you've had to go through the stress of that. Uh, stress and, and these moments often define the one of groups. Battles and moments together that you have. Jesus... Jesus came to be one of us. Jesus calls us into a one of group. Now we're gonna be in some, quite a bit of different scripture here this morning as we talk about Jesus as one of us. There's three in your, in your bulletin. Uh, there's the John 1.14, um, Hebrews 2.15, 2.14-15, Galatians 4.4.6. There's a couple other we're gonna be in. Uh, Hebrews 4.15, if you want to just write that down, because we're going to be in that one also. And then Romans 5, 17, we're going to be in. We're going to start off in John 1, 14. It's in your bulletin. Here's the idea that Jesus's, that the incarnation of Christ is God's shared experience with humanity. Now that word incarnation, it's a big churchy word. It literally means God in the flesh, God becoming the creator, becoming the created. So let's take a look at John 1, 14, and let's see what it says about that. John 1, uh, 14 says this. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. The word became flesh. The word is Jesus became flesh. God moved in to our neighborhood in Jesus. The creator God took resident in a created mortal body and moves into our neighborhood. The incarnation of Christ. 
and he shares humanity with us. He has this shared experience with us now that, that no other religion can, can claim. God in the flesh. Jesus shares our humanity through a lot of experiences. Jesus shares his, our humanity through our temptations. Hebrews 4.15 says this, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. We see Jesus' temptation in the desert with, the, with the Satan. We see it all the way through his life. And here's the, so I'm gonna pull a couple things out of that scripture that I think just really impact me. Number one is that he was tempted in every way. For you to be tempted means you have the ability to follow through on the temptation. Otherwise, it's not really a temptation, is it? Like, I'm not tempted to steal a million dollars out of a bank. Okay, I'm just not. Like, there's no part of me that goes like, I think that's a great idea. Why? Because I can't do it. Like, I, I fully understand I have no ability to walk into a bank and steal a million dollars. There's no temptation. I don't, have to, I don't have to struggle with it. But Jesus, but it says that Jesus he was tempted in every way, in every way that we could, we could rebel against God and, and shortcut our faith and, and do our own thing. Jesus was tempted. And because of that, it says that he can empathize with our weakness, which means, see, there's, there's, there's sympathy and there's empathy. Sympathy says, I feel sorry for you. I'm sorry that happened to you. I don't, I don't really understand, but I'm sorry. Like, there's times you can just be sorry for somebody, Right? Empathy means that you can feel what they're feeling. I'm sorry because I've been through it. I understand. I feel the hurt and the pain and what you're going through. And Jesus went through all of our temptations. And because of that, in our weaknesses, Jesus doesn't just say, I'm sorry. But Jesus says, I understand. I've been there. Jesus is one of us. Yet, in all my frustration, because when I'm tempted, I, I give in, right? Often I give in. I'm tempted, and I struggle, and I fight, and the frustrating thing is I know better, but there are times when I give in, and Jesus, Jesus went through all the temptations and yet never gave in. He, he, he understands temptation even greater than I do, because it comes a little bit on me, and then my nature is to give in to it. Jesus was stood up fully and never gave in. Jesus shares in our pain. Jesus understands pain. Please, if you're going through pain, Jesus is one of you. Jesus understands emotional pain. He understands physical pain. He understands spiritual pain. Emotionally, Jesus leaks his emotions all the time through Scripture. If you're an emotional person, Jesus is one of you. When he's frustrated, you know it. Often his disciples are like, how, how many times am I going to have to do this with you guys? Like he gets frustrated. You see it. He, gets, he, gets, he has compassion. He gets, he gets sad. He, 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 you see all these emotions. And one of the greatest moments is when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's kneeling down and he's praying. And he knows what's coming. He knows the pain that's coming. He knows the rejection from his father that's coming. He knows what it's going to have to be. In fact, his entire life has led to this moment. 
And in that moment, he is so filled with, with emotions that he, he sweats. And it says he, he, was sweat like, he sweat like blood was dripping off of him. Some will say that he just sweat so hard it was running off like blood would. Uh, there's actually a condition where your, your pores can open up and you can actually sweat blood. However, he hurt so badly in that moment. He felt humanity so strongly in that moment that even though his entire life led up to that moment, he prays to his father, if there's any other way, please, please, God, make it happen. But not my will, but yours. And he hurts for what's coming. He fights off the temptation of fear. He fights off the temptation uh, of, of giving in. And he withstands it. And he, he just, he just, is overcome by it. He understands physical pain. The flogging and the crucifixion is one of those physically torturous things you'd have to go through. He understands what, what's, what, is, what it is to hurt physically and have no way out of it. No way to get rid of the physical pain. <clears throat> and yet he, he went through it on purpose without saying a word for us. He understands loss. And in that pain, he also understands loss. He understands loss of friends. Uh, his friend Lazarus dies, and, and he knows that he can raise Lazarus, and he, he, he's, he's on his way, but as he comes in, his friends who didn't understand the, his ability to raise Lazarus from the dead are hurting, and they're weeping. And they're sad. And in that moment, he shares in. He empathizes with them. And he weeps with them over the loss of Lazarus. Before he raises them from the dead, he shares in the hurt and the loss. And he weeps with his friends. Most of his friends abandoned him at the end, right? Most of his friends walked away from him, ran away. He understands the, the, loss, of, 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 and the loss of rejection by people. He understands the loss of rejection by his father. His, his father, who he's been connected to his entire life, this perfect connection he has with God. But when he's put on the cross and, and all of the rebellion and all of the sin and all of the death of humanity is laid on his shoulders, God, who is life, must turn away. And Jesus cries out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He understands what it means to be disconnected from the Father, to be rejected, to be, to be looked away from, to feel the loneliness. Jesus understands loss. He understands joy and successes. Most of his life, he, 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 was, he was successful. If you were to look at it and say, yeah, I mean, he's doing what he needs to do. Uh, there's this, this interesting narrative as Jesus is a 12-year-old boy uh, if you've read through it, and he's, he's in the temple. His family's in Jerusalem. He's in the temple teaching. He ends up talking with the Pharisees and teaching them, right? And his family leaves thinking he's with them. They're like, oh, no, we lost the Son of God. So they've got to come back. Um, uh, that would be my fear. Like, ah. Uh, so they come back, and they, they find Jesus, and they're like, why are you doing this to us? And he's like, don't you know you have to be, I have to be in my father's house? And this whole thing, and he goes off with him. And after this entire narrative, there's this really interesting verse that says, and he, he grew 
his wisdom and strength and in favor with God and men. He grew in favor with God and men. People liked him. People, he, he had favor with people. He, 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 understands, he understands the draw of, of, of relationship and being with people and succeeding. Much of his ministry, he's healing people and people are, I mean, he's the thing. He's the it thing in Jerusalem for three years. Nobody's ever done what he's done, so much so that they want to make him a king. He understands the struggles of that. And he understands and shares our experience of relationships. He comes to the earth and he builds relationships with people. He's got brothers he doesn't get along with, right? He's got a mom and a dad. He's got to go through the struggle with. He's got the crazy uncle that you know you invite to Thanksgiving. He's got family. He's got friends. He's got an inner circle of buddies that James, Peter, and John that he that he does life with. And when he goes to the, on the mountain, he does a few things. He, those are the only ones he brings in. He understands relationships very well. All the good and all the bad and all the ugly of them. And ultimately, Jesus shares in our humanity and death. The very reason that Jesus came was to share in our death. Um, Hebrews 2.14. 2.14-15 says this. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their, in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. Jesus comes and shares in the humanity. He becomes flesh and blood so that he can die for us. He becomes the perfect sacrifice. Uh, the law requires death for rebellion against God who is life. That's, that's the law, and Jesus comes and fulfills that requirement by becoming sin for us. All of it laid on his back, he dies for it. He takes sin from us. He dies for us. See, I, I can die for my sin, but then I'm dead. And that's a problem, because I'm dead forever, and I, can't, I don't have the power to resurrect myself, right? Nobody here has the power, you don't have the power to resurrect yourself. So if you die for your own sins, then you're just dead. But Jesus, as perfect, as the son of God, died for my sins, and then, in death, defeats death by, by resurrecting himself back to life. It's awesome. Like, it, it's amazing. And when he does that, he brings that life to us. He, he shares our humanity, shares in our death, to defeat death, come back to life, so that he could also share with us his life. Galatians 4, 4 through 6. It says, but when this time, set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the, the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. God invites us to be sons and daughters of him. If, you, if God is life and you are his son and daughter, that means you have life also. God invites you into life because of the death Jesus experienced. Because of the power he has to beat death, now we get to, get to be invited 
He became one of us so that he can invite us to become one of him. Isn't that cool? He dies, shares humanity, comes to be one of us so that in return he can, he can invite you to be one of him. Romans 5.17, this is, this is just an awesome section of verse. I'm gonna, I'm gonna invite you to do something, okay? It's not gonna be on the screen. I'm gonna invite you to grab a Bible, okay? If you don't have one, please grab one out of the pews. If you don't have one at home, the one you grab out of the pew, that is your, that's now your Bible. It's our gift. We want you to have it. Uh, we want the word of God to be in your hands and in your life, in your home. Uh, if you're in the pew Bible, it's page 1130. Page 1130, it's Romans 5, 17. As you're getting there, um, so Paul describes something. If, if, you're, if you're in class and you're with a teacher and they repeat something, what's that mean? You better pay attention. <laughs> it's gonna be on the test, right? If I'm repeating something, I'm not gonna repeat it just for my own health. It's gonna be on the test. So Paul says, has three verses in a row, 17, 18, and 19, where he says the exact same thing three different ways. I never saw this until I was, I was studying for this, this message. Three, same exact thing, three different ways. I want you to read it with me, okay? I'm gonna invite you to, to read, read God's word. We'll do this together. So we're gonna start at, at, at chapter five, verse 17. All right, here we go. It says, for if... By the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man. How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life? Through the one man, Jesus Christ. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in the justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. <clears throat> Paul says, listen, if you're struggling with the idea of Jesus being the, the one guy who can bring all things, bring life, bring righteousness. You need to understand this. And, and so the verse, first one he says, if by the trespass of one man, that's the rebellion against God, that's Adam. Okay, so if by the trespass of one man, Adam, if through that, death could reign through all eternity, right? If death reigns because of his one mistake that, that, that put into our hearts the 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 desire to sin, the sinful nature, if by his one trespass death reigns, how much more so will the, the one righteous act, right? How much more so will the gift of righteousness reign through the one man, Jesus? See, the idea of which is greater, Adam or Jesus? Right? Jesus is greater. We, we understand that. So if by Adam, who is less, death could reign, then by Jesus, life can reign. If by, see, so he goes, okay, consequently, let me say this again to you guys. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, because of Adam, we're all condemned. We all stand condemned because through Adam, sin is in our heart, sin's in our nature, and we, we naturally rebel against God. If that condemnation comes from this one man, then how much more so would one righteous act result in justification? 
Justification is a big word that simply means you stand right before God. So if by one man, a created being, we stand condemned, how much more so would the Son of God bring justification? Just to make us clear, Paul says, for just as through the disobedience of one man, we're all made sinners, so through the obedience of one man, Jesus, he, lived, he went through all the temptation, never gave in, was perfect, so through the obedience of the one man, we're all made righteous. Death, disobedience, sin, condemnation came through Adam, through one man, the created being. But when God, the, the creator, stepped into our world and became one of us as a created being, his one righteous act of his life means that through his death and through his resurrection, we are now invited into his life. He brings us life because he is one of us. And that is amazing. We're the only religion. He is the only God who can say that. Nobody else makes that claim of God in the flesh one of us dying for us so that through his life, through his resurrection, all of the condemnation, all of the sin, all of the death that reigned because of Adam can be wiped away. So where are you at in all this? Where do you stand when you, when you begin to process this truth? I think there's several different groups that are in this church, okay? I, I think we have the beginners, those of you who are just really kicking the tires of Christianity, maybe this is your first Sunday here and you're just like you were invited, you're like, I'm not sure what he's talking about, all this stuff. That's great, I'm glad you're here. Uh, it's awesome. You've been here a few times, but you're just, you're just trying to figure this out, right? Here's what I hope for you. Here's my hope for you in this, that you will begin to see a God that's not against you, but that is for you. A God that doesn't stand far off, out, out of the way, but a God who is with you and, and, a, and, and see him as a God who doesn't just like reign over you, but a God who understands your weaknesses, understands your temptations, understands your struggle, understands your pain because he was there and he's one of you. That Jesus came to this earth to show us how to be human. Then he's here with us. Maybe you're a wallflower. All right, uh, seventh grade, eighth grade dances, right? Wallflowers, raise your hands, right? You have wallflowers, I'm gonna raise my hand because I'm a wallflower, right? <laughs> that's where I was, right? I'm, there's no way I'm gonna jump out in the middle of that dance floor, right? That's, that's a scary place out there. Um, but that's how it was with Christianity for a long time. I, I read the Bible, I was, when we went to church, we did stuff, but I, I wasn't sure, I didn't understand. I, you know, we, I, I, I was kind of back. I, I played that game of, well, you know, we'll kind of see. Maybe you're there, you're just like jumping in's a scary thing. <clears throat> Excuse me. My hope is that you understand that God, God does not stand and did not stand on the outside waiting for you to get your act together. Like if you're waiting to jump in until you are good enough to jump in, you're never gonna jump in. And God doesn't expect you to do that. Instead, God jumped in for you. And God jumped in this life with you. And God jumped in the battle to be one of you so that he can draw us into it. 
so that he, we can know and understand that we don't have to be scared to jump into this life. We don't have to be scared of death. We don't have to be scared of life. That we have a God who's one of us. Maybe you are a follower. You've been doing this a while, maybe you're doing this a short time, but you've been or a while, but you are, are devoted to Jesus. You are a follower of Jesus. My hope for you is this, that you will have a stirring in your gut that there's something bigger coming up. Like, as you process the for, the with, the one of, you understand that, like, this is a big deal. And, and it feels like there's something bigger coming, right? Because here's the fact, that God didn't do all this just for you. He would have done it if it's only you. He would have done it if it's only me. But he didn't do it just for me. It's not all about me, is it? It's not all about you, is it? There's something bigger that God's got in mind in this for, with, one of idea. He would have done it just for us, but he didn't do it just for us. And I hope that there's something in you that's like, God, there's something, there's, there's something bigger here. There's something going on that I want to be a part of. I want to jump in on, like I'm following, I, I, want, to, I want to do this thing. I'm not going to tell you what it is yet. It's for next week. But I want it to stir a little bit. Like I want it to, I want it to build. Because God, in his sovereignty, in his, in, his, in his power, does amazing things. And we get to be one of because he was one of. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. See, what would it look like in our church? What would it look like at BCC? And by BCC, I mean you guys. I mean Saturday night. I mean Sunday morning, 9 o'clock. I mean Sunday morning, 10.30. I mean y'all. Because we all are BCC. This building can go away, and we still have BCC. Because church is us. It's who we are. It's not, it's not where we come to, right? Does anybody understand that? BCC is who we are. What would it look like for us if we, if we were able to be willing to believe and receive and express this idea of God being for us, with us, and one of us, if we were to be willing to, to take that out of these walls as BCC in our homes, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, with our friends, with our family, um, in our schools, wherever we're at, if we were to take this idea and blow it up, what would that look like what would that be a part of? What would our neighborhoods look like? What would our families look like? What would our workplaces look like if we took out this idea that God is for us, for people, that God was with us and with everybody else, and God became one of us and became one of them also, and that he's got this greater, grander scheme and plan for us to do and be a part of, as he came to us, he's also calling us to him. What would you think that would look like? I, I hope that you begin to dream about that. And if you need to respond this morning, if you need to respond to God calling you, if you are understanding that he became one of you and, and he's inviting you to become one of him, if you need to respond because you've never done that, please do that this morning. Don't wait. If you're a wallflower and it's time to jump in, you're like, I've been waiting on the outside edges, now I'm ready to jump in, let's go. Whether it's with our church as a member, whether it's in, in Christ, let's do this. If you're a follower and you just, like you've been, you've been following, but you're ready to really like make some, some changes to, to follow deeper and you just need some prayer, please come forward. Let's pray together. We do this as community. Whatever, however you need to respond, 
As we stand, let's go ahead and, and sing and respond. Let's stand.